Well, good morning, everyone. You all know who I am. I'm Stephen, um, and my wife Sharon's there. And it's good to be here. It's uh, good to have come here and be here with you this morning. And the, what we're going to be looking at today is the parable of the rich fool. Now, I normally find these things... Is this going to work? Okay. Okay, well, I'll, I'll stop. Now, I'm going to say something to you that perhaps I shouldn't admit to, really, but you know, the Bible is a great book. It's got some wonderful stories in it, hasn't it? And it tells us about the love of God. But I don't know if you've noticed, but some parts of the Bible are hard to read, hard to understand. What's it all about? How does it apply to us today? Uh, I don't know if you've ever read 1 Corinthians Chronicles in the Old Testament. The first few chapters, if you've never read it, is just a list of names of people who are mentioned just once. And if you read it, you think, what is God saying? What, what's that all about? Um, and if you, like me, have used the Bible reading plan through the year at times, you come to this point, there's a sort of inward groan as you have to read through this whole list of names and you think, God, I do not quite understand what this is all about. And then, of course, you can come to the prophets. Now, who knows about Obadiah? Anybody here may have read it? We may actually find quite difficult even finding it in the Old Testament. Let alone what it's about. It's one chapter, and when you read it, you think, who's he prophesying to? What's it all about? And what does it, how does it apply to me today? And then you come to the New Testament. Oh, I, one thing, you've just been doing the Bible course, haven't you? So you've probably got all this sussed and you don't need me. So you, you know all about this. But you come to the New Testament and even Peter, in 2 Peter 3 verse 16, about what Paul writes. He says, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand. And I think, well, if Peter, who knew Paul, knew the context that he was writing to, how am I meant to, and he says it's hard to understand, how am I meant to know, how, how's that come about. So, I perhaps shouldn't admit it, but yeah, there are times you look at it and think, what is the Bible all about? But, and some of you may have heard this quote from Mark Twain, who once said, some people are troubled by the things in the Bible that they can't understand. The things that trouble me are the things I can understand. And I think that's true about the passage of the parable of the rich fool. It's not hard to understand what Jesus is saying. In fact, I think it's quite obvious. There's two phrases or two um, sentences where he says, life is not measured by how much you own. That's quite straightforward, isn't it? Very easy to understand. And at the end, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. It's easy to understand and their statements are self-explanatory. The problem that we have, and the trouble we have with them, is that they trouble, they're a challenge to us about our money and our possessions. Because here in the West, we, we tend to have quite a bit. We have a lot, and we own so much. And along with Mark Twain, we can find ourselves troubled by this when we think about what we own and what should we own and so on. At least I do. I find myself reading it and thinking, 
I know what it's saying, but do I own too much? And we're troubled by the things we do understand about God's word. And the Bible has much to say about money and possessions and wealth because God knows that our attitude to these things, how we treat these things, are important in our relationship with him. And if we get it wrong, our relationship with him will suffer. But before we actually get into the passage, I do want to say what this passage and also the rest of Scripture does not teach. And the Bible doesn't say that being rich or owning many possessions is wrong. Now, I don't know if you've heard people say, the Bible says money is the root of all evil. Have you heard people say that? Does the Bible say that? I'm glad you've said that because what it actually says is the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So, the problem with money is when we fall in love with it, when we crave money, when we want so much. And it says there in 1 Timothy that people have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows because they've gone for more and more and more and more. So it's important to know that what this passage isn't teaching is that being rich, being wealthy is not necessarily wrong. But it's when we fall in love with money that we get ourselves into problems. When we put money above God and, and so on that we run into many, many problems. But this passage and other parts of the Bible ask a question but it also does point to the way to live. And the question it asks, or two questions really, is where is our security? What is most important to us? What's most important to me? For the rich young ruler, for this person, he looked at how well he was doing in business and thought that nothing could take it from him. He could just build bigger barns, he'd have more. The message puts it like this, self, you've done well, you've got it made and can now retire. Take it easy, have the time of your life. His security was in his world. He thought, that's great, I've got it all made and I'm going to be fine. Everything's great. He says, you've got it made. It's a very telling phrase, you've got it made. The New Living Translation says this, eat, drink and be merry. It would seem that for many people in our generation that is a motto to live by. But what about you? What about me. Where is our security? Is our security in our money, what we can earn and everything will be okay? Is that the most important thing in life? Just over a year ago, I was made redundant. I was a chaplain in a children and young people's hospice in Oxford and finances were getting tight in the hospice and along with 17 others, I was chosen for redundancy. Since then, a further 60 have been made redundant. And it came right out of the blue for Sharon and myself. We weren't expecting it. It was a real shock. We got our children through university. They'd left home. They'd got married. And we felt we were comfortably off. We, could do, well, we wouldn't have considered ourselves really rich. We couldn't have done absolutely anything. 
but we thought financially we were comfortable. And some of the bigger worries and concerns that you have when you have children were behind us, we thought. We would certainly have said in some sense, yeah, we got it made now, this is great, life is good. But suddenly I was made redundant and all that was gone and we were left with Sharon's salary. And we suddenly had to find ourselves thinking and cutting back. And we had to learn again that our security cannot be in what we earn or what we own because it can be taken away from us at any moment. And in this story, Jesus calls this young rich person a fool because his security was in the wrong place. He's going to die. God says, you're going to die tonight. And then, well, what have you got? You've got nothing. You can't take it with you. Somebody else is going to enjoy all that you've got. And the word fool, it's a strong word. It's reminiscent of Psalm 14, verse 1, which says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And that's how this man was living, as if there were no God, that there was nothing to worry about. But the word fool has nothing to do with intelligence, but has everything to do with wisdom. This guy was obviously an astute businessman, able to make a lot of money, able to be rich, but he was anything but wise. The wise man is someone who knows that life doesn't consist in abundance of possession. It's not in what we earn, not in the houses we have, but it's to do with the relationship with God, as Jesus goes on to say. And the Bible gives constant warnings about this. In Matthew 19, a rich person asks Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. And maybe you know the story, but this is how it continues. Jesus says to the man, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man said. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honour your father and mother and love your neighbour as yourself. The young man, he says, I've done this. I do that. I don't steal, I don't murder, I don't commit adultery. But I lack one thing. I still lack. What do I lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. And what happened to the young man? He went away sad because he had great wealth. For this man, his wealth here on earth was more important to him than the treasures he could have in heaven. The problem wasn't that he was rich. The problem was that he loved his wealth, his possessions, more than he could love God. Where is your security? Where is mine? What is most important? What do we love most? Who do we love most? But how can we make certain that our attitude towards our money, our possessions, our wealth is in line with God so that we aren't loving money more than God? How can we be sure that we don't love money and fall into the trap of simply wanting more and more and more? What is the antidote? Well, there are hints in this passage and that align with the rest of Scripture that will help us to have a good attitude to our money and possessions. So the antidote. Fill your life with God. That's what Jesus says. The message 
puts verse 21 like this. That's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. When we are more interested in ourselves, when we're more interested in comfort here on earth, when we leave God out, then we begin to say our security is in our money. When God doesn't fill our life, life gets out of kilter. We stop wanting what God wants. We stop seeing things as God sees them. We start living for self and not for him. And the things that are important to God stop being important to us and we lose our security in him and start worrying about today and what we're going to eat and so on. We stop believing that God will take care of us. We stop trusting that God will provide for our every need. One of God's names is Jehovah Jireh, which simply means that he is our provider. But do we believe it? Do we believe it when things are tight? Do we believe that God will take care of us? And do we try to work it out for ourselves, how we can make sure that we are comfortable and try working it out for ourselves? In Matthew 6, Jesus has been talking about money and possessions that we shouldn't worry. There's no need to worry because he will provide for us. And it says this, steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. And if you want to know, that's where Jesus says more familiarly, seek God's kingdom first. Seek God. Seek what he wants. Fill your life with God. That has to be the first step towards having a right relationship and attitude to our money and possessions. Fill your life with God. Seek God. And have a good relationship with him. The second thing is be generous. Be generous. The rich fool, he's not generous. He's not thinking about what he can give away. He thought only about himself, what enjoyment he could have with his money. He wanted to eat, drink, be merry. He wanted to retire. He wanted to take life easy. He wasn't worried about anybody else doesn't even give a hint that he was going to share and be generous. But a few verses later in Luke 12, Jesus is again talking about money and possessions. In verse 33 he says, Be generous. Give to the poor. Get yourselves a bank that can't go bankrupt. A bank in heaven far from bankrobbers. Safe from embezzlers. A bank you can bank on. Be generous. Because when we're generous, when we're giving to others, we're thinking of them. We're not thinking of ourselves. And God is a generous God. God is a God who gives and gives and gives. And if we want to have the character of God in our lives, we need to learn to be generous, to give and to give. In 2 Corinthians 8-9, to Paul is talking uh, to the uh, Macedonian churches. And in verse 3, he commends them because they gave not only what they could afford, but gave far more. Their giving was sacrificial. And in verse 9 of chapter 8, Paul says this, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Our motivation for giving 
is because Jesus has given everything for us. His whole life. And Paul says, look to Jesus, who was rich yet became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. And later on in chapter 9, Paul goes on to say, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves the person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. So a great antidote to having the wrong attitude towards our money and possession is simply to give generously, cheerfully and sacrificially. When we give, we are, giving, we are acting in character with God's character because God is a giver and he gives and he gives and he gives. And then thirdly, be content. The man in this parable is not content. He just thinks, well, okay, I've got all these crops, I need to build bigger barns to put them into. So he builds bigger barns to house all his wheat. The problem is, we know, that these barns will grow bigger and then they need even bigger barns. He won't be satisfied. He may say that he will, oh, I'll drink, drink, be married, I'll retire. But actually, it doesn't happen. The more we have, the more we seem to want. We see this all the time in our society. We all want the next big thing. The most up-to-date phone, the most up-to-date telly, a smartwatch, a bigger house, a bigger and better car, and so on. Satisfaction never comes because there's always more to be had. And we see the adverts, they're telling us that we need these things to make our life better. I don't know if you've seen the advert for the telly um, that now, when it's off, the blank screen will blend into your um, decor. You, you, you can buy these tellies now and, and you just sort of think, why? What's the point? And, and, and we can get caught up in this society, can't we? We can get caught up, we want this bigger and better and greater and the most up-to-date thing. But a secret to getting away from always wanting more is simply to be content with what we have. That what God has given us. And Paul says in Philippians 4, I have learned to be content whatever life circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul learned that even if he was hungry, he could be content in God. Even if he didn't have very much, he could be content. And in those times when he had plenty, he could still be content and not say I want more and more and more I think as Christians we constantly need to be learning this to be content with what God has given us and I know for Sharon and I we've needed to relearn this over the last year we've had to and it's a good thing it's not a bad thing and the question again is, are you content or are, or are you always striving for more, to have the bigger, the better, the most up-to-date? The Bible says, just be content with whatever God has given you. He will provide for you. And then fourthly, remember what is most important. What's really important. Yes, first of all, 
the relationship with God, as I said in point number one. But there are other things important like relationships. Verse 15 says, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. The most important thing in life has to be a relationship with God, but also a relationship with other people. I read this week about a Canadian lottery, I don't know if any of the other people read this, Canadian lottery winner, a, a, a woman won, I think, 1.2 million Canadian dollars. She put her nephew's name on the ticket as well because she said, he brings me luck. Well, if you believe in luck, then he did, but she said, I'm not going to share the money with him. I'm not going to. She said, if I've won 20 Canadian dollars, yeah, I'd give him 10, but I'm not going to share the 1.2. I'm not going to give him 600,000 Canadian dollars. And she said, I'm going to take him to court to make sure he doesn't get the money. Surely the relationship, let's not get into the argument about whether we should play the lottery or not, but that relationship is now ruined just because she wanted the 600 thousand dollars that he was claiming was his. Surely relationships with one another are more important than having all this money. And then my son Nathan, he trained to be an actuary with Ernst, or started training to be an actuary uh, in London with Ernst and Young. And uh, he, he was married. And uh, he had, sometimes he had to be in work for seven o'clock in the morning and wasn't getting home till midnight. He had a decent salary, he, he, you know, he was a good salary. But he, didn't have, he couldn't really have a good relationship with his wife. He couldn't even get into relationships with people at the church, you know, go to small groups and stuff, because he didn't have the time. So he chose to continue to train as an actuary, but move to Manchester and uh, work uh, for the co-op. And now he goes to work, gets in for about half eight, and gets home at six o'clock in the evening. He can have a relationship, that was a choice to make, to take a lower salary just because his relationship with God, so he could go to small group and be involved in that, and also with his wife. What is really important to you? Is it relationships or is it money and having more and more and more? And then finally, prepare for the inevitable. We read Psalm 49 and there it's saying the same thing. We're all going to die. What are you going to do with your wealth? And we need to be prepared for what is inevitable. We are all going to die one day. We try not to think about it, but it is going to happen. Some of us, should I say, are perhaps slightly nearer it than others, but we don't know when it's going to happen for any of us. And whether we're rich and famous or come from one of the poorest parts of the world, we are all going to die. The circumstances may be different in each case. None of us knows the time or place but there isn't one of us here can, that can avoid that last appointment. The wise, the fool, the rich, the destitute, we're all finally equal in this one thing. We shall leave behind alike our mansions or squalor, our fame or misfortune. When we come and stand before God, we shall take only our character. So let's not be impressed by riches or fame, even when they are ours especially if they are ours. Value, understanding and wisdom that comes from God and is freely available to all who ask. James 1 verse 5 says, If you need wisdom, 
ask our generous God. There it is again, our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. If you want wisdom, if you want to know how to spend your money, how to use your possessions, how to use any wealth that you do have, just ask God. If you want to know how to spend wisely, to save wisely, we need only ask God for that wisdom and understanding. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Standing in awe of God, having that relationship with God is the beginning of wisdom. It is wise to prepare for possible problems and more than foolhardy not to prepare for the inevitable ones. And there is nothing more inevitable than death. So we need to prepare in the way we handle our money and think about it and ask God to help us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you provide everything for our needs. We thank you that we do have enough. So Lord, help us to be generous, help us to be content, but most of all, Lord, help us to seek your faith and your guidance and your wisdom so that what you have given us, we know how to use for your glory and your honour and we might be wise in the way we spend. In Jesus' name, Amen.